eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Hi, welcome to the NASCAR on NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan, joined today by NASCAR on NBC analyst, Jeff Burton. We're here a couple of days late because of the 4th of July holiday, but still a ton to talk about from the first ever Grant Park 220, the Chicago street race. NASCAR making its debut in street racing for the first time in 75 years. And it wasn't only historic because of that, Jeff. It was also historic because we had a first-time winner in his first start ever, Shane Van Gisbergen, the three-time Supercars champion, the Project 91 driver for Trackhouse Racing, wins the first ever NASCAR street race in the Cup Series. A lot to get to on all of that, but let's just start with the man who heretofore will be known as SVG in this podcast. Put this in context, Jeff, because I know you've been around NASCAR a long time. We've always heard about the so-called road course ringers who come in and might come from sports cars or other road racing series. They've done well, but I don't think we've ever seen anybody do this well. This is the first time we've had someone win in their cup debut in 60 years. The last time this happened was Johnny Rutherford, the Indy 500 winner at Daytona. So Put in context, SVG coming from another series, never driving a cup before and winning at Chicago. Well, Nate, it was, you know, it was um, an amazing thing to watch. He was fast in practice. Uh, You knew immediately he was going to have speed. Uh, But we've seen that before. We've seen drivers come in, have speed. uh, But when they go to race, they can't connect all the dots because the racing is completely different. His experience uh, in cars that are similar, not like, but similar to this car, I think helped him a great deal. I think the timing of that is is important. Uh, one of the most difficult things I always believe was that if you come from a almost any other kind of series to come run NASCAR, these cars are so radically or have been so radically different than anything else. They don't stop. They're heavy. They don't turn very well. They don't hook the rear tires up very well made it a huge transition, even though a guy may have more road course racing experience, he didn't have experience in the car. Well, that wasn't the case here uh, because the Australian supercars, you know, aren't the same, but are similar to this. He immediately felt comfortable. Uh, he was driving very good equipment. Uh, you know, obviously track house builds good equipment. And I think he got benefited by single file restarts. I think he got benefited by the rain. I think that, and I'm not, I'm not discounting anything at all. Right. But, he wasn't thrown into the vast differences uh, that others have. Like when you go race at Watkins Glen or you go race to Sonoma, those guys, our guys have so much experience in these cars, they're even that much harder to beat. Well, no one had experience here. 
he had some experience on street courses. Most of our guys didn't. We had single file restarts. We had a wet racetrack. We had a lot of things that went against what we normally do. And I think that was an advantage to Shane. Now, look, he took full advantage of it. And he is a great race car driver. You look at what he's done in supercars. That, that is a, an ex exceptionally competitive series. Uh, I'm not taking anything away, but but there were differences in this race and he took full advantage of it, which, by the way, wasn't easy to do. It's very difficult to take advantage of, of all the situations. Uh, it shows you how good he is, uh, but it was a different kind of race, and I think that helped him. Yeah, I think I was most impressed, Jeff. I mean, he qualified third. He was fast in practice, and Denny Hamlin wins the pole and immediately says, Shane Van Gisbergen is lightning fast. Like, this guy is finding the last three inches next to the wall that we are not finding. So his ability to go fast on one lap was really impressive. And you know the fact that he's driving, he's driving a left-hand side car where normally in supercar series, he's on the other side of the car and shifting with his left hand instead of his right. So all of that is impressive. But to me, it was his racecraft that, you know, I think there was one point, it was after stage one, there was a restart. And I think you and some others noted it, that I think he went from like second to fifth. And I think we all thought, okay, this is what happens during a cup race. The veterans know this is where you make your hay. You got to gain ground. He's going to fall back a little bit. Maybe he'll stay up there, but it's going to be difficult for him to get a good result seeing that. But it just seemed like he was almost playing cat and mouse. It was almost like he was racing so intelligently and we didn't really recognize it until that final 20 lap stretch where he made that charge from 18th to first. What did you make of just his racecraft? I thought was as impressive as his speed. Yeah. And his post race, he indicated that he just got too conservative in that section. He just felt like that, you know, he didn't need to push then that it, and it just got too conservative and th therefore he lost speed after uh, the, the strategy where they got on the wrong side of that, he was left with no choice, but like we got, now we got a charge. And, and, and he did that. And by the way, I thought that he got uh, disadvantaged in uh, the lineup with the turn 11 traffic jam. Uh, I thought he should have lined up way further ahead than he did. I, I thought that that lineup was, wasn't necessarily correct in my eyes, but he had overcome that too also. So listen, there's nothing to say except for he was extraordinary. And these, these cup drivers do not get enough credit and when people come race against them, they recognize, wow, they're really good. They are really good. But he was better. And that says a lot. And it, it, it shows you that there's still room to grow. It shows you that our guys can still be better. And it shows you that we always have to be working as a sport in a series to be the best drivers we can be. And it also shows you that I wish our guys had a little more time to go race with other in other series. You know what I mean? I think that would be good for them too. But uh, we just never we race so much; it's never enough time. But I also think we can't forget, you know, Justin Marks and and what he's doing at Trackhouse. You know, he said he uses the word "we want to be disruptive." Well, he is, and and he is doing things that others haven't thought about. He is doing things consistently that are changing the sport. And that is disruptive. And for him to go say, hey, we're going to have this guy run this race. I mean, it was the perfect pick. I mean, you know, in retrospect, it was the perfect pick to put in this race. A guy with a similar, that knows these cars a little bit, that understands street courses, that has the right attitude to come in. I mean, when you looked at him and you heard him talk, you could tell he's an aggressive personality. Like you could tell he wasn't afraid of the moment. 
and and have, finding that right guy that can balance. I'm not afraid of this moment. I'm, I'm going to be respectful for these guys, but at the same time, I'm going to race them really hard. Uh, that's hard to do. It's hard to go in somebody else's backyard and be respectful and race hard. And he did that. So yeah, what a great pick. What a great concept. And uh, Justin Marks, he is being disruptive, which is what he said he wants to be. Yeah, that's the whole concept of Project 91, which Justin Marks designed to bring drivers from around the world into the Cup Series, give them a shot. Kimi Raikkonen, F1 champion, had started this car uh, a couple of times before. Not another start currently lined up for Project 91 this year, Jeff, but I'm sure we're going to see it again. And talk about just perfect timing for NASCAR coming off of 24 Hours of Le Mans and Garage 56, Camaro running with all of the prototypes over there in France. And it did really well in Le Mans. It seemed to generate a lot of interest. We had Steve O'Donnell and Ben Kennedy talking after Chicago about how they're looking overseas. It seems as if we're going to see an international race soon. All of this, I mean, Project 91 certainly is separate from NASCAR initiatives, but it all kind of dovetails with where it feels like NASCAR is going right now. It does. And and I think we have, I think that this series has continued over the last, I don't know, year, year and a half, generate interest from around the world. Things like this can only help. Uh, Lamar was a big deal. I mean, I heard unbelievably positive things about the Lamar experience that NASCAR did. The F1 drivers and champions coming here running races and, and talking about it. And it has a lot of drivers that run worldwide series uh, or series around the world, rather, talking about NASCAR. And then I think with Shane having the success he did, there's a lot of them that went, hey, I can do that. You know what I mean? Like, I've raced against Shane. I can race with him. And now it has, I think, even more people interested, which is a fascinating concept, right? Like, I think that in the past, drivers were probably a little more reluctant because you really didn't see people having success. And now, you know, Shane comes in here and wins. I'm sure that changes the mindset of, of drivers thinking, hey, if I get in good equipment, I got a shot. That will create more interest as well. Look, great race car drivers don't want to go somewhere where I'm not run well. It's very <laughs> few, very few that can take their ego and say, you know what? I know I'm going to go. I'm going to do this. I'm not going to run well, but it's okay. It's very few that can do that. And, but if, you, if, if those guys think they can come and compete at a high level, that'll generate even more interest to be here. You know, not only was it SVG in this race, but we had Jensen Button, Formula F1 champion, making his second cup start. We've got Kamui Kobayashi, who's 24 Hours of Le Mans winner, Rolex 24 at Daytona winner, Formula One veteran. He's going to be at the Indy Road Course next month on our broadcast in the Cup Series. So it feels like there's just so much momentum there. And I think you're right. Like, it, it feels like these guys have a chance to win like never before because of I don't know if it's next-gen platform. It feels like there's a comfort level with this car that maybe the the ringers didn't. I mean, they were always good, but maybe they didn't have this comfort level that they have with this car. I, I think it's a couple things, Nate. I think that I think the next-gen platform, the way it breaks, I, the way it breaks, and the way you shift are massive, massively uh, more similar to what they're used to because these cars stop exceptionally well compared to the car we had two years ago and, and, the tra- and the transaxle versus the transmission. The transmission is a delicate thing to deal with in, in, in regard to braking and slowing the car down. The transaxle is something that those drivers are much more familiar with. And so I think those two things are the biggest reasons. Uh, now, I will say this, Nate, 
the other variable, I, I keep saying this, the other variable that we have is that if you look at the amount of track time that cup drivers get today versus what they got five years ago, it's minimal. You say you have X amount of road course races and you take hours of practice and testing away from cup drivers that are in these cars and you go and you race and you have very limited practice that allows the opportunity for a driver to come in that has less that has similar experience and in, in this type of car or more experience in this type of car and compete at a high level the limited practice although it has a lot of great things about it there are some negatives and one of the negatives is our drivers are not sitting in the seat as much our teams are not working on the cars as much at the track the main thing is the drivers and i know everybody says we have simulation i get it i understand it but they're not the same i'm sorry if, if simulation was the same all the cars would, would run the same speed all the time they don't and and because if, if i could take my driver who's not quite as good as somebody else and go spend more time in the simulator and build something that's better for him he would run with him but it, it the simulators are simulators they're not the real world and and the limited track time is preventing the cup drivers from separating themselves now that will change over time i think uh because you will have you will ultimately have more seat time than others but until then the door is open for people to come in and have success especially on a street course where cup drivers literally don't have any experience SVG runs about half of his races in the supercar series and he's an 80 time winner there. So obviously he knows how to get around a street course. Kyle Busch said afterward, Jeff, that obviously being a rookie to NASCAR, yes, but, um, you know, not being whatsoever a rookie in road racing and his expertise that he has, uh, that's what he's grown up doing. That's what he's done his whole life, you know? So, uh, and fortunate for him, he's done it in bigger, heavier stock cars, not lighter weight GT cars. He's, he's probably, I don't know, four or five, eight years ahead of us in this sort of car, you know, and the things that he's done with the V8 supercars. Does that sound about right for you? And to your point, like with the limited practice, obviously you can't just go to a street course and have real world experience. Does it kind of leave open the possibility to your point that maybe other guys are going to see what happened here from other series around the world and say, we can go there, we get in a good car, we might have a shot at this. You know, that's an interesting point by Kyle that, you know, five to eight years behind, that's a very interesting point. It does, I don't know about the years, but he does, that does, I agree with what he's saying. And again, I said at the beginning of the show, this is not against SVG in any form or fashion, but, you know, he had everything going for him. And, and to be able to come in and put on this kind of showing, not having double file restarts, because that's been chaos, right? having the, the restart zone where it was, having single file restarts, having it on, on a street course, having in the rain. Like there were a lot of things that helped him. And there's just no, I mean, it just is. And it's just how it was, but it doesn't diminish what he did. What he did is come in and just kick everybody's ass. I mean, that's what he did. If you look at practice and you look at the race and you look at speed, he just was the best. There was no, there was no doubt about it. He was the best. Consistently, he was the best on, on Saturday in practice, I felt. And so he immediately came in here ready to go. Trackhouse did a great job of getting him prepared, doing the things they needed to do for him to be comfortable. He didn't make a mistake on pit road. He didn't make the mistakes that other people make when they come run these races. We see it time and time again. They do something wrong on a restart. They do something wrong on pit road. You know, we see it over and over and over. He didn't make any of those mistakes. 
And so his preparation level was awesome. Trackhouse did a great job of having him ready. He did a great job of being ready. Uh, he completely executed, completely executed on the opportunity. And he drove through the field. He, he drove through the field. They got on the wrong end of strategy. And he did, that did not keep him uh, from winning. And he did not, that moment wasn't too big for him. And I think that's part of it too. I think that his attitude is like, yeah, I belong here. You know, he's a very, you can tell he's a very confident person. And it, the moment just wasn't too big for him. So when he got behind, he just stepped it up. He just drove harder and drove better and drove through the field and did a great job. Check out your point. Um, Chase Elliott and Kyle Larson both said that, that, hey, he just came in here, put on a clinic, kicked our butts. It, it was difficult to find areas to pass. Some of the areas that you might could have made a move that were still a little wet. So it was, it was kind of risk versus reward. But as always, the people who do a better job than others tend to find their way to the front. You saw that today with Shane, you know, he, he was in a league of his own and, you know, in my opinion, put on a really big time clinic and, and I don't want to speak for everybody else, but he made me look bad. Um, and, and I kind of thank the rest of us too, but looking forward to going to work and, and trying to be better. Neil McFadden, uh, FrontChurch.com. I guess, Kyle, just what did you think of what Shane was able to do today? How impressed were you? It was so fun to watch um, from, my, from my view. You know, it was uh, when he got to my back bumper, I felt like I pieced together a really good section. And I was like, I thought for sure I'd look in the mirror and I was going to be like two car lengths or something in front of it. And he was glued to my back bumper. I was like, holy shit, this guy is flying so uh he was able to get by me and then you know i i got to watch the show you know i kind of followed him through and the moves he was making uh really everywhere he could pass anywhere um but the moves that he would he could make into two uh was was really neat to see and then the pass that you know he had for the lead i thought their battle for the lead was great um you know he made his move into two justin was able to get a good exit and uh, you know, squeeze inside of him. I was like, man, he's going to be able to fight him off here for a little bit longer. And um, he just made a super aggressive you know, lane change back to his right side. It was just, it was, it was sick. It was awesome. So um, he put on a show, and it was, it was cool to see. And, and I think when a guy like that can come in and, and uh, you know, kick your ass at your own game, it, uh, it shows that, you know, we all have room to improve. And um, I'm curious what he thinks about about us. You know, he obviously passed a lot of us, so I'm I'm curious if he thinks we all suck or if we could you know actually like compete. You know, if if we weren't really that bad, but um, we come from you know a different background than, than him. But uh, it was great to see, and and I hope the fans enjoyed it. You know, congrats to him and the team and Justin Marks. That was uh, you know really really cool to see. Just to give you some stats here, uh, that charge that he made from 18th to first in the final 22 laps, he passed. William Byron, Chase Elliott, Austin Sendrick, Joey Logano, Kyle Busch, Kyle Larson, Justin Haley, all with moves on the racetrack it, and at various points on the racetrack. I know you were over in the 11-12 section. You could, you could see him making moves there. He had four of the five fastest laps in the race. He was nearly a second faster than the next quickest driver, which was Denny Ham on the pole sitter. I want to go back to one thing, though, uh, as we leave this, Jeff. You mentioned shifting, and it was great to see, by the way, that more people watched this race than any NASCAR and NBC race in six years. They saw some tremendous visuals from director Sean Owens, just incredible you know, cityscapes and magic hour of Chicago, like really cool stuff. I thought one thing that they, they got to see was the foot cam which I've been dying to talk to you about this because I know that we talked a lot about this in NASCAR, say 20 something years ago, when 
you had to do the heel, the toe thing that Shane Van Gisbergen was doing. I know that there was a shift to Jericho transmissions, I think was the, the first one to do this, where you didn't have to use the clutch when you shifted anymore on road courses. And that was a real game changer in cup. That was about 20 years ago. It used to be that, you know, it was like the Ricky Rudd, what made him so good was he had that heel to toe technique that we saw SVG using. So give me your explanation of that. Cause I think it was Max Pappas came out and showed a little tweet of our, our video there showing SVG's footwork and said, this is where road course drivers, road course ringers, this is where we gain our speed and people don't realize it. Can you kind of encapsulate all that? Like explain, like if you use the clutch to shift, how is that an advantage, I guess, for SVG to be doing that in a way that the other cup regulars aren't doing? Well, so it was interesting because uh, it was a, it was a little bit of controversial conversation. Like, did it matter? Did it not? And, and even SVG, when he was asked about it, he's like, people make a lot over nothing. You know what I mean? He kind of said, I think he said it's if he had a foot fetish or something, you know, made a funny <laughs> comment about it. You know, it's interesting. Like as I watched when I watched it, so clearly I didn't watch every lap. I just I watched live what we were showing, and it just looked like he was using the clutch to downshift. It didn't look like he was using the clutch to he wasn't engaged in the clutch for long periods of time, like I would have expected to see. There are there are advantages, opportunities for advantages. And using the clutch to kind of free roll the car, meaning there's no engine braking. So when you when you have the car, you go from fourth gear to third gear, the RPMs go up under braking, right? You're going from fourth to third, so you have more RPMs. So those forces are being delivered to the rear tires, and that creates a, a certain kind of force. It does slow the car down, but it does it in a way that can misbalance the car. So there's been a lot of talk uh, about drivers actually using the clutch to prevent that engine braking from happening. So now just the rear tires aren't slowing the car down uh, along with the brakes. Obviously it can make the car turn. It can, it can help make the car rotate on a road course. And even to the point where when supercars went to paddle shifters, there was a conversation about that wasn't good because it took that, it potentially took that skill away from using the clutch. And so using the clutch on road course racing with a transmission that you don't need the clutch, uh, some people believe drivers have turned that into an advantage and helping make the car roll better, help the car brake better. And I know for a fact that people have done that in the past. So there is an opportunity. I did talk to some cup drivers post Chicago and most of them kind of blew it off, said that, you know, they knew a lot of people did that, but when they tried it, simulator they tried it and testing they've been able to do that they don't get an advantage like they don't see the advantage in it so uh i don't know uh to be honest with you nate i never used that skill i've heard of drivers using it and i will tell you that the best road racers are incredible breakers they have a way of getting driving in the corner deeper than the next guy can and if you go back and you think about a say an xfinity car what causes wheel hop is the excessive RPMs under braking. The rear tires get light, rear tires start shaking and bouncing. If you could clutch it, it could make some of that go away. And we don't have wheel hop in cup cars anymore. We'll slide the rear tires, but we don't have wheel hop. So I can promise you this long conversation we just had 
there's a bunch of race engineers and drivers that are sitting around talking about this. <laughs> How can we go figure this out? But again, we get back to the same thing I talked about before. Well, how the hell are you going to do it? I mean, where's the practice? Where's this testing? Where's this, where's this going to happen? Right. And so this is the, one of the problems with limited amount of track time is that you don't, you don't get as many opportunities to go develop a, a driving skill or, or something like that. So when are you going to have a chance to go do this before we go to Watkins Glen? You know, when, when's that going to happen? And I can guarantee you there's, there's engineers that are looking at it saying, hey, you've got to find a way to do this. You're going to drive to Watkins Glen, turn one the first time on a 20-minute practice and use the clutch under braking? Are you going to do that? You know, so this is one of the many concerns I have with limited practice is that we are diminishing the opportunity for our drivers to be as good as they can be. It makes sense. And just to clarify, like this is a lost art. There was no heel to toe, right foot braking, even when you started in cup 30 years ago, that was, it was pretty much gone by then with the new. Oh yeah. 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 I, I, I learned, I, I went to um, the first, I'm pretty sure it was the first year Xfinity cars ran Watkins Glen. Uh, a group of us went to uh, Bondurant's out in Phoenix and we learned how to heel toe. And I believe the next year we had, we didn't have to anymore. Right. It was a, so it, yeah, it, it's my whole cup career was with, with transmissions that you didn't have to collect. You didn't have to use much. So we're talking about basically a generation that hasn't used heel toe as a yep. technique. I mean, and to your point, like <laughs> if you can't practice it, at speed, it's going to be difficult. But if you did try to do it, could you do it like in a weekend? Could you pick it up? Or is it like one of those things with driving that that just takes months to perfect? You and your team have to be willing to say, hey, well, this might not work. And if it doesn't, that means we might finish dead last because I've, I've dumped it in the tire barrier. Yeah. Are people willing to do that? I mean, that's the that's what driving a race car is all about. Like you have to operate on the edge of grip on the edge of your capabilities and the car's capabilities. And when you try something different, it's real easy to get over that itch. And so will someone be willing to do that? Potentially, but it's pretty risky to do on a race weekend. Yeah, huge risk reward factor there. Certainly that might have helped SVG, but I think you're absolutely right. Single file restarts all the way through this race definitely put him in the clear a little bit. It made it, I think, easier for him to eventually get through the field and, and make that pass on Haley. Are single file restarts, Jeff, something that NASCAR should look at now? maybe at other road courses, especially like Indy Road Course, Watkins Glen, where you have that huge funnel going into turn one? I, I, Nate, I think the biggest thing first, we had the alter, we had a different uh, restart zone this week, you know, before the last corner. We need to try, you know, NASCAR is known for double file restarts. So we need to try double file restarts with that restart zone in a different place. And I don't think we need to have a different restart zone at, I mean, Watkins Glen hadn't been a, that much of a problem. Sonoma hadn't been that much of a problem. Uh, Coda and Indy have been the biggest problems. And when we looked at when you looked at the racetrack going to this weekend, this looked like it would be a problem too. So let's go ahead and get a, get ahead of it, knowing what happened at Coda and what happened last year at Indy. It doesn't take away the racing, right? It just it keeps the fifth it keeps the eighth row from being you know end up side by side with the second row with nowhere to go. Uh, and you can't, and people can say, well, the drivers can control that. No, they can't. You can't control it because if you don't do it, you're going to get passed. Like, so there's no, there's no choice but for the driver to do it. So 
I think before, and there are some drivers that want us to do single file restarts. They think the race will be better, but I'm pretty sure NASCAR is going to prefer that we have a NASCAR style restart with the modified restart zone and see what kind of result that yields. Then if things are crazy, you know, if things are just out of hand, they can always go to single file restarts in the race to make it more, more fair. But I, I have a feeling NASCAR likes double file restarts and they want to keep that. Yeah. And that was certainly a call that they made pretty much during the race that, Hey, we're just going to run single file because of the conditions, because uh, it was a drying track that come out of monsoon conditions throughout Sunday morning and afternoon. How much do you think that factored in Jeff into the racing that, you know, you starting on wets, switching to slicks late in the race, guys are trying to figure out where the line is as the track dries. Did that make it a better race? I think so. I think it was the appropriate call. Um, and I, I think some of that is um, the evolution of racing on rain tires. Like we don't, we still, relatively speaking, don't have a ton of experience. Roval two years ago, Xfinity in the rain, or even three years ago, Xfinity in the rain was over the top. Like that was too much to ask. Coda in the rain, that was too much to ask. It was too much rain. It was, it was just too much. And so this week you saw NASCAR, did not put cars on track, including on, on, uh, in the Xfinity race. They did not put cars on track, Xfinity or Cup, in conditions that they knew uh, or believed was, wasn't going to work. Uh, but they learn, had to learn that the hard way. You know, it's the only way to really learn it is to do it. And then on top of that, the, the willingness and the understanding of, hey, we got these conditions. We just got to go to single file restart. We might only have one dry groove or halfway dry groove. So let's, we got to go to single file restarts. It's just an evolution, right? Of understanding what we can do on, on rain tires. And that evolution will continue. Uh, we saw it at Wilkesboro. You know, we put, they put rain tires on at Wilkesboro uh, and, and, and ran an oval race on rain tires. Who the hell thought that would happen, Nate? I mean, if I told you that four years ago, I mean, <laughs> you know, but, but NASCAR said, hey, now's a good time. Let's do it. And it worked. It worked actually really well. And so it's, they're just learning what they can do and what they can't do. And I, I'm convinced if we go to New Hampshire next week and we have drying conditions, we're going to race. Like we are going, they're going to put those cars on track if we have drying conditions. I don't think they're going to put them on track in raining conditions and conditions where it's just raining. But if we have conditions that are improving and clearing, I don't know, there's no doubt in my mind they're going to put them on track. I feel like Chicago is really good proof of concept of that. And like you said, I mean, who would have believed four years ago they'd be racing on a street course, never mind using rain tires on a street course or a road course or on an oval. Uh, so you've been going to cup races, Jeff, for 30 years, driver, broadcaster. The experience of being at a street race for the first time ever in your life as, as a member of the NASCAR industry. I mean, I know there's a lot of trepidation heading into this race. I think, you know, aside from the weather problems, Saturday, Sunday, three of those concerts got canceled, but you can't control the weather. I think aside from what NASCAR couldn't control, everything else felt pretty much like a home run. What was it like from your perspective watching this race happen, uh, which it felt like hell freezing over, I think, for many people in some ways? You know, I, I, I was really nervous about it. This, the whole process, I was concerned about it. And uh, we went a month ago or so and went to Chicago uh, with all the traffic on, on the racetrack. You know, there were roads, but we were able to get on those roads and see what it was that was going to happen. And after seeing it, 
I'm like, this is going to work. Like this can work, right? Like it's, it's wider than I thought it was going to be in most areas. There were some areas that were really narrow, but I just, I don't know. I got some confidence that it could work. And then it turned into what's it going to look like when the walls are up. And then uh, Steve and I got there Wednesday night and, and we may or may not have stuck on the track at, at, uh, <laughs> at inappropriate times. <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, to check out the parts of the racetrack that we could see. And it was like, wow, this is going to work. And then on Saturday morning, I got to take pace car out. And after that, I really had a high level of confidence that it was going to work. Now I knew it was going to be hard and I knew there were harder parts of the racetrack than others, which every racetrack has, but the confidence kept building. The more information I got, uh, the confidence kept building. And then the, the drivers did track walks. They communicated with NASCAR. NASCAR changed some of the tire barriers based on the track walks. They gave more, a little more room for some drivers in corner exit. They, they did some things to, from a safety standpoint. So there was great coordination and, and willingness from NASCAR as drivers got there and started looking at things from their perspective as willingness from NASCAR to say, okay, that makes sense. Let's do that. So all in all, it was, it was a, a, a great success. And I, and I, Nate, I do think some of the success, how do I say this? Like the fact that it rained as much as it did and, and the entire industry just pulled together and found a way to make it happen under adverse conditions. I mean, there was a moment there. I didn't, did, no one thought we would be able to race on Sunday, or at least they were very concerned. And NASCAR didn't rush it. They didn't put cars on track when they weren't supposed to. The, the teams did a phenomenal job of, of where they had to unload their cars and what they had. They, they did a phenomenal job in, in recognizing all that. It was a joint effort by everybody. I thought the communication to the teams and the drivers prior to going to the racetrack, I thought was phenomenal. So everybody understood what was going on. And I think all of that was paramount to its success. It was radically different. The teams had to do everything different. The drivers had to do everything different. We at NBC had to do everything different. NASCAR, everybody did. And all the work that went into it, and there was a ton of work that went into it, uh, and that communication was really important. And I think that's, I think that that is part of the new NASCAR, that communicating is exceptionally important. And let's over-communicate, let's don't under-communicate. And, and I thought that had a lot to do with the success. Ton of effort, ton of time, everybody pulling the rope in the same direction and a ton of money as well. I mean, $50 million is the estimate on what NASCAR spent. And what struck me, Jeff, is I had just come from covering the Detroit Grand Prix for IndyCar uh, a few weeks earlier. And when I walked around Chicago on Thursday and Friday, it looked like Detroit. It looked like Long Beach. It looked like St. Pete. It looked like a street course. It looked like every other street course I've covered in the IndyCar series. So now I think the question becomes, obviously, NASCAR's got a three-year contract in Chicago. So two years left. There is a possibility that the city can review this and exit. Certainly hope that's not the case. I hope that NASCAR is back in Chicago next year. But if that weren't the case, should NASCAR be at a street circuit at least once every season for the foreseeable future, Chicago or otherwise? You know, that's a good question. I do believe, I do believe there's an opportunity in many parts of the country, not just Chicago. I can't imagine Chicago reviewing it and saying that wasn't good for us. <laughs> I, mean, right. I can't imagine that happening. So where does that fit? 
right? So where does street racing fit in our schedule? And I, w- I will say it like this, Nate. I, I don't, I think the great thing about the new NASCAR is we don't have to know where it fits two years from now. Now, don't get me wrong, they have to be working on it, but because these things certainly don't happen overnight with all the, all the logistics and everything that have to happen, but you don't have to be committed to it or against it. You have to have a willing city for sure. But if for whatever reason, the fans love it and it's very productive, find ways to do it. If for whatever reason, the fans don't love it and it's not as productive as it needs to be, then, then don't do it. And, and that flexibility that we have today that we didn't have before gives us great advantages. And one of those advantages, I think, I, I think we should go back to Chicago next year for sure. I think that I just don't know why we wouldn't. I thought the city greeted us well. The fans greeted us well. There was a, and by the way, we have unfinished business, to be honest with you. Like they didn't see the best of us. They got a version of us. I want them to, I want them to see the best version of us. I want the whole weekend to happen. I want the concerts that got canceled due to weather. I want those to happen. I want a weekend in Chicago that is uninterrupted with the weather and all the chaos it was created because of the record setting rain. So I think we still have unfinished business there. If we can go there and have a clean weekend, it would have been even better. So I want, I want those race fans to see that because I think that we have I think we have an opportunity to take it to the next level just by not having to deal with all that stuff. So interesting finish in that we have a winner that doesn't really count against the winning playoff total. And now we still got, we've got 12 winners this season, but essentially we only have 11 playoff spots filled by winners because SVG isn't going to be in the playoffs. Now NASCAR cup series goes to Atlanta. Jeff you got this interesting situation developing with Chase Elliott, despite the fact that he missed seven races and now he's only 55 points out of the cut line. And I think Jeff Gluck was figuring out that he would need to make up, you know, an average of six to seven points over the next eight races for Chase Elliott to point his way in. Atlanta is a track where he won at last year. Atlanta is now a drafting track, super speedway style track like Daytona and Talladega. Give me your, you know, handicapping Atlanta and specifically Chase Elliott, the defending winner, knowing that it seemed like we were talking winner else for this guy. And this is an opportunity where he could win at this place. But now suddenly it almost feels like there's a points path available to the playoffs as unbelievable as that might seem for Chase Elliott. There's a point path, but still everything has to go his way because, you know, what we're not counting on is what happens when the guy that's, you know, we have another winner. And now the, now the guy that he has to beat in points is more than 50 ahead of him. That last car in on points can keep changing based on who wins races. So yes, there's a mathematical way for him to point his, his way in. If you look at the races he's had since he came back, it would indicate that he is going to point himself in, but at the same time, we haven't had the winners that move that cut line that make it more difficult for chase. I don't know what's going to happen. Nobody does know what's going to happen there. So, I think that the team probably still is of the mindset that they need to win to get in. But what is, but what does that mean? Like, what do you do different? You know what I mean? Like Alan and Chase aren't sitting there doing well, we need to win. So we better try harder. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) you know? Yeah. So what do you do? I mean, the, the, 
you go into the last few races with the mentality of I have to win, then you might do play some different strategies. You might do something like that, but it's not like you can just flip the switch and say, Oh, we have to win. So we're going to run better. I mean, they would already be running better, which by the way, they ran pretty good this weekend. So there's a pathway in points, but I, I think it's more likely winning is the real pathway. Uh, this weekend's a great opportunity for them. Hendrick cars are fast on super on, on this style of racetrack. You know, like you said, they won there already. Yeah, I mean, and Chase, Chase needs a rhythm. And I, 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 you know, he missed so many races. And then when he got back, then he got suspended. Then he had an off weekend. Like, you know, it was like the team now has like two races under their belt back to back. And now they can start building some rhythm. And, and, I, and I do think that matters. Do I think Chase will make the playoffs? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I know that Alan Gutherson and Chase Elliott are more than capable of, of making making the playoffs, and they're more than capable of contending for championships. But so was Martin Truex, and he didn't make it last year. So it would be hard for me to imagine somebody can miss seven races and point themselves in. That's where I'm having trouble. However, Alex Bowman, he missed the races he missed, and he was still in, you know. So I don't, I don't know. But but uh, this is a good weekend for them to quit talking about points and win a race. Yeah, probably won't be talking much about points over the course of Sunday night's race. Uh, any other thoughts about Atlanta? I mean, it does seem like this is one of many X Factor races that we have in the NASCAR and NBC run up these ten races into the playoffs. When I watch the races from Atlanta now, what I think about is the importance of track position and the and the the balance that the teams have to make between qualifying and race. The spring race in Atlanta was the first time that we qualified cars there uh, because of weather. And if you remember, there were there was a car hit the wall. We had multiple cars, had major, major incidents. Like, it was not like Talladega and Daytona qualifying. It was some big moments. And that was teams learning, like, what are the adjustments you have to make to make a Q lap versus a race lap with zero practice. So I'd be really interest, interested to see how they've adjusted to that and and to avoid those those bad qualifying runs and then this does not race like daytona and talladega it's a much tighter the radius is a much tighter around the corners so it's how do you make a move if you're running eighth with four laps to go how in the heck do you get to first like how do you do that and and i think all the teams and drivers know that track position is king and from the moment they drop the green flag, that's what's going to be the race is get track position and do not give it up because I just don't think you can make passes like you can at Daytona and Talladega. And that track position trade-off is different in qualifying, whereas you know the narrative at Daytona and Talladega, anybody can do it, just hold it flat. That's different in Atlanta. That qualifying concept doesn't exist. Well, I just, I, it was different in the, it was, now look, it got better as qualifying went on. Team saw their teammates having problems, so they made massive air pressure adjustments. They made they made adjustments to what they were doing, and and so it got calm. But the first the first three quarters of it, first half of it or so, there was all kinds of things going on. So I don't know what to expect. The other thing is, um, it wasn't hot <laughs> in the spring, <laughs> and it's right. going to be hot this weekend. And that means, and and how much is the track lost grip? There's no practice. Again, here we go. You know, there's no practice. Uh, there's, you know, just go off and race. And teams have no idea what the grip level is compared to, to what it was in the spring because of the heat and also because of just tired, 
racetracks wear out just sitting there. They lose grip. And how much grip has, has Atlanta lost? I don't know how the teams guess at that. I, I, I don't know how they guess at that. You know, I know they have a lot of tools, but at the end of the day, it is somewhat of a guess. Unknown grip levels, really slick track, drivers with no practice. I think what you're telling us, a lot of reasons to watch both <laughs> Sunday night and Saturday from Atlanta Motor Speedway. NASCAR and NBC coverage, my man here, be part of the call. Jeff, thanks so much as always for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you, Nate. Our thanks again to Jeff Burton for joining us on the NASCAR and NBC podcast. Thanks to Motorsports Manager Emily Convoy for setting up this episode and to Zach Tanzaretti for editing the Motorsports on NBC YouTube channel version of the podcast. You can catch the full episode there, as well as some notable clips from Burton. And you can always check the Motorsports on NBC YouTube channel for more NASCAR America Motormouths content and highlights from across the racing spectrum. The NASCAR Cup and Xfinity Series will be at Atlanta Motor Speedway this weekend, the Cup Series is Sunday night, coverage starting at 7 p.m. Eastern on the USA Network. Dustin Long will be on the scene for NBC Sports Digital. You can visit NBCSports.com NASCAR for all the details and schedules for watching the Cup and Xfinity Series in Atlanta, as well as news, columns, and analysis. If you have any NASCAR and NBC podcast feedback, you can send to me on Twitter, at Nate Ryan is my handle, and as of mere hours ago, I'm also now on Threads. My handle there is NateRyan73. So feel free to follow me there, and maybe I'll even start posting soon. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR and NBC Podcast. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.